Welcome to the moment that changed everything, where we interview notable creative people to gain insights into how they got started and learn more about the moments that shaped them and their careers. Today, we sit down with stage manager Caroline Waters. You're undoubtedly familiar with the world's most successful contemporary circus, Cirque du Soleil. Behind all the bright lights, death-defying acts by performers, and artful choreography is an equally death-defying choreography of real-time decisions the audience is never aware of. You don't know how you're going to get there, and if you ask every stage manager how they got there, I can guarantee you every single story will be different. Today, we get to go behind the scenes to talk about the creativity required to keep a show of this magnitude on the rails, how knowing what you want to be early on has paved the way to Caroline's success, and how simply asking can open the doors to your dreams. Caroline Waters, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We're so happy that you're on, and I usually say thanks for taking the time, and you're a stage manager for Cirque du Soleil, and that means you probably have very little time, but we're in the midst of a pandemic. So does that mean you have a little bit more, uh, more recently? Uh, yeah, I actually have a lot of time. This is the first uh, time in my life where I've had a break, really. So it's a blessing and also kind of, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so so there, there was no memo that went out to, to, to uh, the organization that, that talked about what you're going to do? What, what are the plans moving forward? Um, for me personally or for the company? <laughs> for the company. <laughs> um, honestly, I, I only know what's been out in the media at this point um, in terms of what's happening. And there's been a lot of discussion as to what's going on with Cirque and what's, you know, what we're going to do, how we're going to pick up. Um, but right now, every show kind of has a different starting point that we know of. Uh, and none of that's changed since. So my show is still currently uh, scheduled to start up in Paris in September. And that's all that I know. Otherwise. That's it. That's basically it. <laughs> well, I wanted to start by talking about the specifics of your job, because I mm -hmm. think in general, our audience might know, kind of have an inkling of what a stage um, manager does. Mm -hmm. But um, when you say you're, you know, when we see that you're a stage manager for Cirque, Cirque du Soleil, that seems like an all encompassing thing. Do you work as part, you know, what part of you in the, are, are you of the team and and do you oversee everything that happens in the show? Give us a little primer on what it is that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So the stage manager's main role and responsibility, uh, there's a team of us, so it's not just me, um, but our main responsibility is to coordinate between the artists and the technicians. So we're sort of the middle ground in between. Uh, during you know, any course of the day, uh, we'd have rehearsals and trainings and then a show eventually, and we are involved in all aspects of that in terms of scheduling in terms of managing people managing projects and then when the actual show happens we are the you know we, we're the, the the captain of the show we're the ones that are responsible for uh, making sure that everything happens on stage when it's supposed to we're responsible for making sure that the performers um get to where they need to be and if we have any issues we are the live problem solvers that's like the best way i can describe it <laughs> we we are the problem solvers live and uh it's it's quite um an adventurous and very uh complicated job in even describing it to be honest uh but the shows do not shows do not exist without us we are sort of the core uh team that makes everything happen so we are very essential but we also um you know, the roles and responsibilities vary from show to show as well. Do you think that stage managers are born? Because it seems like a very high pressure thing. I mean, yeah. I get nervous 
you know, just, just, you know, on, on very simple, simple things. Um, yeah. But with all these moving parts, you have to be so steady. So like, how much alcohol are you consuming just to steady your nerves <laughs> on a regular basis? You know what? It's, it's interesting that you asked that question because um, it's actually not, the alcohol is not really for nerves. It's actually kind of for, uh, it's sort of, you know, why would you drink alcohol? It's a ce celebratory beverage, right? Like, it's like, I did something. I achieved something great. I'm going to have a drink, you know? That's right. kind of why people drink and smoke. They're like, I need to sort of have an outlet. Like, that's, that's still the same for us. But quite frequently, every single day feels like I accomplished, like uh, I climbed a mountain, you know? And especially working for this company where it's, uh, it's very exciting, but it is very challenging and it is always changing. So some days we, or some months, we can go every single day where we're just like, at the end of the day, I need a celebratory beverage for getting through that day. And that's why we, that's why we drink, at least that's why I drink. Um, but I think we're also quite responsible, especially being on tour. Um, you know, we don't have any issues with, with, um, with, you know, arriving to work late because you were out too late. Like, I mean, obviously everywhere does and sort of some right, but, um, but we're pretty responsible and it's also a very social thing to do. You know, you spend all day working with your colleagues and it's nice to be able to sort of kick back and have a drink. So, you know, but I think to answer the first part of your question, we are definitely born into it because as of at a very young age, almost every stage manager can kind of tell you a story similar. At a very young age, things sort of excite you that normally wouldn't excite people. Like if there's a fire truck that I hear fire sirens when I was a kid, like I gotta figure out where that's going. I need to know, like I wanna be part of it. It's just a very weird feeling of like, you just need to be around all that high energy. And over time, you start to realize this in little stuff. And it's then you realize that you're actually capable of handling high stress without, you know, going insane, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating to know. I mean, I, I, I am always jealous of people who know at a, a young age what exactly they want to do. Mm -hmm. I know we had a previous conversation. We had a separate meeting somewhere else. And, um, and you did give us a little bit of that um, uh, sense that at a very young age, you were focused on that as maybe a potential vocation mm -hmm. and um and and why do you think that is i mean you've explained that um you like to be around the action but but how did that translate uh, by wanting to know where the siren is heading and then going to stage manager i mean it could have been other things maybe you could be a police officer or some kind of emergency yeah person. that's true that's true i think that um the, when I was young, I started performing just for fun, like all kids do. They start doing dance or theater or whatever, and I started doing that stuff, and I really enjoyed it, but I also enjoyed the, the creativity behind it. For me, I was more driven towards that, um, and the, the creativity of having some knowledge about how things work and presenting that to people who have no idea. There was some sort of illusion behind it, you know? Um, like, I know how that, that set piece flies across the stage, but nobody else knows in the audience. Like, there was something kind of neat about that. And I kind of held on to that. And the more that I kept um, discovering that was sort of an interesting part of my job, then I sort of was driven into theater for that, right, I guess. Um, because, you know, it is a mystery. And people like my friends and family will come see the show and they'll be like, how did that work? And I'm like, I can't, I'm not going to tell you. That's the magic. It's it's uh, you, you just have to have your own ideas and it allows people to be creative. And I really enjoyed being in that atmosphere. Give us a sense of what the training is like. What's the education part of, of um, stage management? Because 
to your point, I think a lot of audience members, we just, we see the show happen. We know there's someone behind the scenes making it all happen. Uh, and I imagine there's any number of components to that. But what's the education part? What does that sort of look like? Um, well, it's crazy how many programs there are out there, right? You can get your, your Bachelor of Fine Arts in theater production, which encompasses like lighting, sound, everything, basically. And then there's master's programs where you can get like your master's in stage management. And it's, I didn't, I mean, I'm lucky that existed when I was younger, but um, it didn't exist forever. Like obviously somebody said we need to have some education um, about this program. And truly the, you know, the, the beginning stages of your education is more uh, factual and more logistics. Like, you know, how do these lights work? How do you build a flat? How do you make sound work in a the theater? Like all those basics, which, as a stage manager, we need to know all of it, everything. So the education of going, a stage manager going to school to learn all of that is huge bonus. Like I'm so thankful that I did that because now I actually know the basics. I can't actually like consider myself an expert on any of those topics, but I know enough that I can ask the right questions and that's what you need to know as a stage manager. But in terms of getting my master's, that was like, I didn't know what to expect in terms of what they're teaching us. I, I had no clue. I was just sort of like, oh, it's a master's, it's in New York, and I want to teach one day, so I'm going to get this thing. Um, and there were very interesting classes. A lot of them were specific on like the art of even calling a show and how we do that. That's a whole course on its own because it's very complicated. It's not something that you can just, you know, say, here, here's a, you know, here's a script, try these things and see how it goes. Like there's a lot of layers to it. Um, so teaching that is something that you can do as well as teaching how to manage people like that is a whole course on itself how do you manage people in in all different um, art forms with different personalities so do you need to go to school to to learn all these things no i mean of course you can learn them hands-on and be a bit practical but um i did it and i don't regret it at all and i learned a lot while also working like outside of school of course um but yeah, the education, and there's programs everywhere. I'm sure that they vary in terms of what you learn, but um, I think it is smart if you, if you really want to grow your skills, if that makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about how you wound up getting involved with Cirque du Soleil. I, I, uh, you know, I know that you, you were at Columbia in New York City. That's where mm -hmm. you did your master's. And I think everyone looks at New York and thinks, wow, uh, in terms of live theater, what better place would there be? And it's such an exciting and lively city. Uh, I almost think like, why would you ever leave New York? Because it seems as though there'd be plenty of opportunity to, to do uh, live theater. And I know you did some and some of it that mm -hmm. you, you cite as some of your favorite stuff that you've done. Yep. Um, how did that somehow um, turn out to be you traveling all over the place with Cirque du Soleil? <laughs> It was a, it kind of just happened, I guess, but at the same time, it wasn't, it didn't just happen. I kind of knew. Um, I think I was, ever since I was 16, uh, when I was a performer and a stage manager, I always wanted to work on Broadway. That was my goal. I did not care if I was Canadian and I had to figure out how to live there. Like I was going to do it. And I think if you were to even ask anybody that I knew at that time, um, my, my passion was insane. Like I knew I was going to do it. It was just a matter of time. And um, when I decided to move to New York, I had like an internship with a, like, I did not get paid for the internship, so it was completely legal. Uh, I had some internship, uh, I just got an apartment, I just applied for Columbia, like I didn't even get in yet and I moved there. It was just like, I just kind of made it happen in a very odd way. 
And I was very excited about my Broadway dream. It was coming true. I was meeting people. I was networking like I've never networked before to get in there. Finally, when I got there, got to school and everything was just happening, I had this like moment and it wasn't a, it wasn't instant. It was sort of gradual. So it wasn't like I woke up one day and decided I don't want to do this. But I sort of started realizing that this is exciting, but it's not it, it's not exciting enough for me. Like it just, I knew the fight to get to be a Broadway stage manager, which is definitely a challenge um, because it's very competitive there. I knew it wasn't going to be worth it. It knew it wasn't what I wanted. It was, I just suddenly was like, is this not big enough? It's not big enough. It's not challenging enough. Um, there's not like, you know, yes, yes, it is challenging. I'm not discrediting that at all, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't what I dreamed. It was, I wanted something bigger. I wanted something where there were like tens and thousands of people watching. I wanted to, to have lots of challenges during the show. And this is very like cookie cutter, similar Broadway shows. They're all kind of the same, similar theater designs. Um, you know, it seemed like a very nine to five kind of job for me. And I didn't, I didn't love it. The passion sort of went away and it kind of like cross faded with a new passion of mine when I was um, like discovering immersive theater in New York. Uh, shows like Sleep No More or Queen of the Night, which um, Queen of the Night's not running anymore, but Sleep No More still is, where it was just different theater. It was just, it was still theater, but it was very complex and very unique and very challenging. And I was like, ooh, I want to know more about where, where can I get involved in that? And that's sort of where my paths ended up crossing with a stage manager that worked for Cirque. Um, she no longer works for Cirque, but she did for many years. And she kind of was just like, have you ever thought about Cirque? You know, this is a very similar kind of production. And I was like, honestly, I, I know it's there. It's a Canadian company. Like I'm, <laughs> but I always just kind of thought it was like this unachievable dream that I knew nothing about. It was like a mystery. And I just sort of discredited it because Broadway was like the focal point. And then one day I just decided to shift it and just go do all, put all that crazy like passion and energy that I had for Broadway for like, I don't know, six, seven years and just put all of that into Cirque and just say, I'm gonna do that. And everything just lined up perfectly. It was exactly how it was meant to be. Like, uh, honestly, within like maybe a month, I had gone to Vegas on a vacation and decided I changed my whole thesis for my master's because I am smart. I like to hit like two birds with one stone, you know? It's my master's thesis, but I'm networking at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been like, I'm gonna graduate and go right into this. Like I have to do it. And um, basically I did. And then like I graduated, I had the, you know, a big cheesy American graduation at Columbia in New York with my parents. And then two days later I was, I was moving to Vegas. So it was just, it just happened, you know, but I well, knew. I what was it like? So you speak to this stage manager, I'm assuming that she invited you in to go behind the scenes and watch it all in action for the first time yeah. at some point. Yeah. Describe that moment. When you walked in and you saw everything, was it what you expected? Was it bigger than you expected? What were the feelings? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, so I've done a lot of experience. Like to preface that, I've shadowed a lot. Like when I was really young, um, my parents took me to New York and I shadowed like four Broadway shows. I had written them little personalized letters to stage doors. And like, I honestly, I was just going insane. I wanted to like know what it was like. And Broadway was like the first show I did was Wicked and um, I, I was blown away. Like I was, um, I was in tears. I walked out of there in tears. I was like, I have to do this. But when I started doing it for Cirque, I first shadowed in Vegas. I had then shadowed like also in Big Tops as well and other types of styles. But the first time I shadowed was in Vegas. 
And I just kind of walked out of there and was like, this is exactly what I want to do. It's horrifying. It's very <laughs> scary. Um, but it's, it's, uh, I guess I just sort of saw the, the learning curve that I would have to go through to be able to get to, in that seat. And um, it just sort of saw it as like this, like passion that I didn't know I had inside of me that really wanted to be that person in charge. And I dreamed of it. Like I, I, I kept thinking like, I have to be that person. And I cannot believe that one day I might be that person. Like I was just sort of in awe. And I still have moments to this day um, when I'm in that seat. And I am in charge, like right now I am in charge of a stage management team. I finally got this position that I've always dreamed of. And I do have moments where I'm just like, wow, like I'm, I remember that like little girl that was so excited to like sit next to that person and be like, how do you do that? What the heck is going on? How do you, what, how do you, what? you know, I was just kind of, my mind was blown to now being that like cool, calm, collected person that can now teach somebody while I'm doing it. Um, I just, I just, I don't know. I could just see myself in that seat and was like, uh, that's, that's me. That's my seat. I think we look at live theater. I, I mean, I think people are drawn to live events, including sports and stuff like that, because it's this idea that anything could happen. Mm -hmm. And even though you watch Cirque and it's choreographed and you, you're, you're watching the drama unfold in front of you, there is, there must be drama happening behind the scenes. And <laughs> Um, you've alluded to it already in one of your other answers, but um, I'm going to ask the question anyway. Mm -hmm. How perfect can one production be? Like, how much improvising is going on on a regular basis behind the scenes? What is, what's that like? I mean, again, we see something that looks choreographed, but even within that choreography, there must be some things that are happening in real time that the audience is unaware of, but mm -hmm. someone is thinking on their feet to make it all seem seamless. Oh yeah. I mean, look, we're, we are a multi-million dollar production that tours arenas every single week all over the world. Of course, we're going to have problems. <laughs> they happen quite regularly and it can be problems from, you know, it could be te small technical things. It could be, oh, you know, this person forgot this prop and they don't know what to do now that they don't have it. It can be, you know, a performer uh, entered the wrong way. And it could, it could be, honestly, I, you can't make them up. Like the scenarios are endless, right? Um, and I think the, the job that we are in, the seat that we are in, especially me as a general stage manager, is to try to figure out all of the problems that we can predict, that you start with that and you have like a plan. Okay, so if, if this happens, if we lose lights here and then we, you know, we need to get them back here. Sorry, I'm shaking the camera, my computer. <laughs> um, how are we, you know, going to fix that problem? And we go through them all, but none of those things that we plan really happen. And our job is to make it look like, uh, sure, there will be a bunch of problems, but the audience will never know. And truly any given show that happens quite frequently and we solve problems kind of on the fly. Of course, there's at some point, um, some problems that require us to stop the show. Um, but that is a whole show in itself, like the whole coordination of how we do that and how we restart. The audience will never know. <laughs> like, even, and that's, that's even, it. Even if you stop, they won't know? Well, they'll know, but they won't know why. They won't know um, how long it's, I mean, we, sometimes we know how long it's going to be, but it takes time to start or whatever. Um, sometimes we have to like hold or vamp or, you know, which most of the time the audience doesn't know unless it looks obvious, but 
when these things happen, I think it's, it's important for us where we will, after the show, we will sit down and we will look at the tape and we'll see what happens and we'll analyze, okay, if that happens again next time, what can we do to avoid a stop or what can we do to avoid a hold and how much time do we, like, I mean, we, we kind of need to, to figure, we, every single time that happens, we sort of dissect it. Um, and that's sort of like, that's the stage management role. That's the role that we're in is to figure out how to avoid that in the future. And um, yeah. There's, there's the lights going out. There's other things that can go wrong. Of course, at the same time, um, it's as if there's lives at peril, you know, there's, it's perilous too. I mean, we watch these performers, we watch the athletes, they're doing some things that are dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, uh, that raises the stakes big time for you guys. I want to think about what your insurance looks like. Um, <laughs> I don't even um, know, to be honest. <laughs> but does that, does that ever enter your mind? Is that the, what's on the forefront that, 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 something, that an accident could happen? Or are you just happy when the lights go down at a certain point and you can kind of manage that? Or is that, and that must add to the whole adrenaline uh, part of it too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is it actually is, um, you, we're constantly, when we're watching the show, we're constantly thinking about the what ifs, you know? Mm. And there are some parts of the show that are high risk enough that when, when the act is over, you're like, okay, we're good, next. Like, there's a lot of that while we're calling. Um, but we are, I mean... We, we try our best to be trained. Obviously, we're also human beings. So there's a factor involved in that that is not worth, like, that's, that's worth, like, acknowledging. Mm-hmm. But um, we do plan and we do train for emergencies. We do train for, like, in terms of accidents, we train for that stuff. Um, but, you know, at some point, something could happen and we have to always be prepared for, for that. And that's why we train it. I think because we use technicians and we use, sometimes we use artists to help us train it, but we do it, you know, with lights, sound, we, we practice um, just so that we're, if something were to happen, we're sort of prepared. Um, but it is a special, it is a special skill that you kind of need to have of the, that's where your, you know, your panic, the panic comes in because it's something that we don't see often. I, I, we don't witness it that often, to be honest. Let's talk about the uh, the performers and the athletes for a second mm-hmm. here. I mean, uh, for whatever reason, I think they're they're all Eastern Bloc or something like that. And um, <laughs> and it, or is it more the United Nations of, uh, of of athletes and performers? Where do they come from, and um, how often do they they change? And um, or is it sa- the same step, same group of performers for long periods of time? How does that all look like? For sure. What does that look like? So we have, um, our show has, I believe we have 43 right now, 43 artists, let's just say, um, and they all have contracts for one year. So after one year, uh, their contracts are renewed. Some people go to other projects. Some people will stay for many years. Um, there are some shows where people have stayed for the entire duration of the tour before it closes, which can be like, you know, eight to 15 years. So every show is kind of different. It depends on your role and depends on your specialty. Um, Obviously people who are uh, singers have a bit of a longer life than acrobats do because their bodies um, go through way more vigorous training um, than singers, but it kind of varies. Um, We have artists, I don't know how many countries of people we have on our show actually, I probably should have looked that (laughs) up first, Um, but we have artists from all over the world. 
literally you can I can name countries I can't even pronounce and we have artists that are from there and we have uh, talent scouts that will scout artists and they will travel to locations to find people with skills and it it truly always surprises me the people that we find like I have just there's some acts that I have seen that I've only seen that one time and it's just because they found this one person in Brazil who knew how to do that like it's just kind of amazing um, so they do kind they do change relatively frequently some of them um, but at the same time they uh, their skills are very different so if we have a, somebody come in to replace somebody else we do have to cater to their skills which is an interesting challenge for us um, because that means like your typical you know we're not replacing a role we're reinventing a role essentially when a new person comes in we're saying like these are the things you need to do because this person was doing that but you know we're going to utilize your skills the best we can to be able to create a new role for you so it's kind of fun that's what i i kind of enjoy that part of it because it is kind of you know it's that's what kind of makes it unique i guess in terms of replacing them but they're from everywhere they're not just from uh, you know Eastern Bloc countries. US or Canada, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Let's talk about the concepts for the show and when are you exposed to what the big idea is about a, a new show? How does that work? And what, who comes up with the ideas? Um, how long does that take? And then I guess when it moves to you guys with production, how much practice is going on before you actually launch? Right. So every show is a little bit different and I've only been part of a creation process once and that they kind of brought me on later on as an extra stage manager. But to my knowledge, um, so once they decide they want to create a show, the first thing they'll try to do after um, is before they even uh, have a concept is they'll hire a director and a creative team sort of, you know, set lights, the designers um, that we never really see. And those people will all come together and they'll at Cirque in, uh, in Montreal and they'll sort of develop this like idea of what they want to produce and what they want to do and they'll start to you know create concepts that part of it uh, stage management is not involved in um, once those things are sort of developed then they will start to decide okay now let's hire performers and then they'll go through that process which usually around the same time is they'll hire a stage management team and a director um, once that's sort of done and they have everybody, there's an interesting, the way that they sort of do it in Montreal is all the creation process uh, and rehearsal process before the show opens, all happens in Montreal at their headquarters. So that can range from, I think it's like two to three to four months. It just sort of depends on the production and what they need to be able to do it. Um, our show was a little bit different because uh, we're also an ice show. So a portion of it had to be on ice, but off ice. So it depends on the demands of the show. Um, the stage management team is present for all of that. In addition to that, there's another stage management team uh, that usually consists of two people that are in charge of, um, of the artists in a more detailed form, like their schedule, their fittings, their costumes, and uh, the rehearsal schedule and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, so at some point, we're a team of like four or five or six, depending on the demands of the show. And then once we move into the theater, uh, we're usually in the theater for about a month and a half or so, depending again on the type of production. Um, then you have the support from the other stage management team, which is like the rehearsal stage management team. 
um, who also happen to speak French, which is great because a lot of this, uh, the creation process is in French. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then once the show itself opens and they start doing previews, which we usually do, a, uh, I don't know how long, but I know with the show that I did creation with, we did about a month or two of previews. Once the previews are kind of done, then the original creative team, the directors, all those people leave, and then they kind of hand the buck over to us with the, you know, hand us the torch. How, um, what do you credit the consistency of Cirque with? I mean, I think, I don't think there's anyone who comes out of a Cirque show that doesn't, that says, mm, that was okay. Um, <laughs> and there seems to be a tremendous amount of consistency and exacting standards. Um, does that come from Liberté? Uh, what do you credit this, this unbelievable run of success and how it's kind of become like the, the gold standard of, of, of live theater? I think, I think, well, there's lots of factors involved, but if I can think of one like off the bat, just from my experience in working for Cirque, is they're constantly reinventing and um, constantly changing the content in our shows. Like our show has seen what we, sometimes we call them like um, refreshes or revamps, or um, you know, we change some sort of creative element and a big element. So we do that frequently. Like I, the last show that I did, we had revamps and refreshes twice just in like the two years that we we're running it. So you know, over time things have changed, society has changed, uh, the jokes have changed. You know, and Cirque is very much trying to keep up with the time in terms of that as well as making sure that if something's not working and the audience isn't getting it, they'll change it. And I think that the, instead of just, you know, putting a show out there and saying, this is our show, whether you like it or not, that's it. You know, it's, it's not that mentality. It's very much trying to be innovative and creative with making sure that the audience is engaged the whole time. We do travel. We all have, every show has a director attached to it. That's with us the whole time. Uh, for sure. The touring shows, the resident shows are a bit different but we have a director that's with us and he'll sit out there and he'll watch the show like every night or every other night. And he'll take very, very detailed notes and not just notes of like corrections, but hey, you know what, why don't we try this instead of this? Let's change this. And we're constantly changing things. It's kind of a joke that runs around with, I mean, maybe it's my own joke, but it, it does run around with other stage managers. It's like, I don't think I've ever like called the exact same show more than once. Like it's always different. We're always changing cues. We're saying, hey, can we try this at a different time? Yeah, sure. Like we're always playing with it. Um, and I think that's, it's ironic that you started off this question asking about consistency when really we actually change things a lot. <laughs> um, but that's kind of how we keep it fresh and engaged. I think the audience feels like they're, um, they're part of witnessing something uh, fresh. And that's sort of the feeling that we want to portray, I guess. So um, I was going to say, like, what's a what's a great day for you, and what's a really bad day for you? <laughs> um, well, let's say. So when I walk into work every day, I don't know what the day. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. I've walked into days thinking, you know, you always got to go in thinking it's going to be great, but you can walk out of there and your whole set fell over. And that's I I'm not joking. That's happened before. Um, so sometimes you just have to kind of brace for impact and know that like it's probably going to be a nightmare but you only find out like as the day is going around right sometimes things top it off so then suddenly you're like good day turned into like a ah, 
okay, I thought that's manageable to like train, you know, barreling through the arena. But some days it's just exactly how you planned and exactly what you were prepared for. And I think those are the good days because things happen all the time. Um, you know, I wouldn't say good or bad. I would just say things. <laughs> um, things come up all the time that you didn't prepare for and suddenly your day is changing. But as you know, the more adaptable you are and the more prepared you are, I can walk out of a day, even though it can be a nightmare, and I can say this was a good day because I was prepared for everything that happened and I was ready and I had a really good team of people that were supportive and helpful and made everything work. Um, whereas a bad day is when things just sort of become out of your control and uh, you know, managing something that's out of your control is one of the hardest things to do, to be honest. It's very hard. Um, so a bad day for me would be more like, you know, I just feel overwhelmed and overtaken by the day. And I suddenly feel like, you know, I, I could have had it, but I, I didn't have it. Those to me are what I would categorize as the bad days where you just, you know, you just could not handle that day for whatever reason it was. Um, but then the next day you're going to start fresh again. Like it's just, every day is a new day. <laughs> um, is it is it difficult to uh, is it difficult for people with families and stuff schedule wise? Uh, I know you travel probably a tremendous amount, mm -hmm. and in in many ways I look at that and I think that you never get time to get too settled. And I know a lot some people just love that lifestyle, but I guess that's my question. It must be a lifestyle, no? Yeah, it's a different. It takes a different breed of human being to really be part of that world. And I think people that figure out very quickly, um, it's not for them. They they just they just leave, because it is difficult. Um, this is my like this May will be my fifth year touring, and uh, it's it's not it's not easy. And I've seen a lot of people travel with their families or like husbands will bring their wives and their kids and they'll just follow them around. But they have to find their own way to get to every city. They can't travel with us. So it's a lot of effort. Um, I think if you're determined to make it work, you can make it work. And there's a lot of people that I know that are really making it work and they've just sort of figured it out. And, mm. but they've accepted that as their lifestyle. Um, some people who are just like, you know what, I'm doing this for now, not forever. And they've accepted that, but they're still on tour and it's been like 10 years. So <laughs> it's, it is a definitely not for everyone. Um, at some point I would like to, you know, be in one place. Um, unfortunately being quarantined um at my parents place is not like the one dream that i had and about saying <laughs> staying still for like a couple months but um but eventually it would be ideal i think it's just you know doing it while i'm younger is probably the easiest part for me at least yeah i gotta think for someone who is built like you where you really love the adrenaline and excitement and where all the action is I mean, I know some people are struggling with this. I think we're, I mean, I, I think this is like week six of us being kind of mm -hmm. uh, uh, self-isolating. And uh, I know people have good, bad, good days and bad days, and, uh, but I know everyone's feeling it. It must be particularly hard for you if that's something that you get so much fulfillment out of to be sitting around your, your parents' place and just kind of hanging out, waiting for this to happen. And I think at the top I asked, you know, like what, what is the plan? Because I, I've heard, I've heard about how um, the new normal might be. And I think I have to think large groups of people together is like phase four of this yeah. getting back to things. So you guys will definitely be on the tail end 
uh, of things. Is that what you've heard? Is that what you're preparing for? I'm preparing for that. I haven't heard anything truly at all, but we were definitely the first to get kicked out. Um, we were the first to go. Like, I think that that is something that when we knew we were the first to get shut down, uh, we knew, we kind of know we're going to be the last to go back up. And it makes sense. Um, but it did, it did definitely come at a shock, I think, of, you know, we heard about this coronavirus, we knew it was happening, we, you know, we'd heard about it. And we were in Scotland at the time. And, uh, you know, Scotland said, okay, now we're going to ban some events with over 500 people. And we're like, oh, well, I guess that's us. And then, you know, the company announced when we are our, our leave, our layoff. And it, it was shocking. I went from, I remember I went from a Wednesday, it was a Wednesday where I was working like full steam ahead. I had like the schedules prepared for next week. We had just started back on tour again after having a break. Um, we had this whole UK tour planned. You know, we were like, I was just, I have so much going on in my head so much work to do. I'm in the middle of training a new stage manager as well as integrating four new artists. So we are very busy and suddenly went from like full steam ahead at like a hundred kilometers an hour to like zero was probably the hardest part. Not the hardest. It's not too hard staying home. I can figure out things to do. The hardest part was going from like full steam ahead to just like suddenly nothing matters anymore. Mm -hmm. Like don't stop working on the schedule for next week. We're not going there. Like, <laughs> stop making plans for what we're going to do when we get to this next, there's no point. Like, it just, I've never had that happen to me before in my career of suddenly there's just no point. Like, there's always a lot to do. I think that took, that took me a couple of weeks to process that, I think. Now I'm just like, oh, you know, I, I, can, I can figure out what to do right now. But the beginning was harder for me. Um, I always ask guests what their advice is for anyone who wants to emulate your career or do the things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask that, but I'll, I'll also add that um, at the beginning of this interview, you talked about how you made your way and how you willed things to happen. And I think that's a, I think that's a fascinating thing. I think mm -hmm. when people are passionate about something, the idea that they're not going to be able to do it, it doesn't even come into the, to come into play. It's more, you might not know how, but you're laser focused on, on it happening and you manifest it in many ways. Correct. So, yeah. so maybe, maybe answer the question about your, your best advice for someone who wants to do the same, but maybe touch on that because I think, uh, I think that's a very inspiring thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's completely true. And that's sort of how I'm going to be moving forward from my life, to be honest, is, um, you don't know how you're going to get there. And if you ask every stage manager how they got there, um, I can guarantee you every single story will be different. Like there's just no how, like it's just not there. It doesn't exist. Like, do I go to school? Do I not go to school? Do I do internships? How many years do I need? Like there's nothing. It's none of that. But it is, there is a lot to say about the passion that you have behind it. And it doesn't mean you have to say I'm passionate about it. I, you know, you don't have to say that in an interview. It's not for anybody else. It's only for you. It's only for you to be passionate about it. You have to be the one that will spend all night on the internet figuring out, you know, how to be the best stage manager and how to have the best like toolkit, you know, whatever it is for you. Like for me, I remember I wanted to learn, figure out how uh, to get experience calling big shows. You can't find the answer to that on the internet. Like it doesn't exist. So I ended up like printing out, um, it's so embarrassing that I'm saying this, but I ended up printing out um, the, the sheet, the score, 
and all of the text for uh, Seussical the Musical. And uh, I created my own cues. I, I've never, I've never even seen it at this point live. I created my own lighting cues, sound cues. I don't know, I just made up a whole show in this big book. And I just played the music off of iTunes or some YouTube thing that I ripped and put onto iTunes. <laughs> and I just pretended to call a show. And I, and things, I made it so difficult. Um, and I just did it myself, but not because I read somewhere online that you have to do these things, but because I was so passionate at being like an expert at something, or at least knowing the questions I had to ask other people that had experience. But you have to be that kind of person. You have to have that kind of niche where you, you want to do it. And yeah, I didn't know how, I didn't know if that was going to work. You know, I didn't know if I was going to, I'm not going to get a job through that. Like, <laughs> like nothing of that sort, but I had the passion and the drive to do that. And if you don't have that, you're not going to get there because you're not going to see, you know, you're not going to accept the fact that you did or didn't get a job. You know, every time I got a job or got offered a job, let's just say, I said yes to everything. I didn't care if it was like a crappy little production down the street I didn't care if it was, you know, uh, had only two actors in it and it was a really short play. I didn't care. I took everything and not because I, you know, I didn't want to make it, I didn't want to seem like, oh, you know, I'm too good for that. Like you can't have that attitude. It do, you cannot have it in this industry. It's just, you will just get suffocated and it will be, everybody will see it and they won't want you anymore. So I said, yeah, at one point in New York, I was working on seven different shows at once. And I had like a book that had like all the different shows with like dividers in it. So I would take it everywhere so that I could schedule two or three different shows while I'm at another show. Like I, and the only way I knew I could handle it is by doing something like that. So I like tested myself, like, is this stress good for me? Let's figure it out. Let's take seven shows and do this at the same time. And then I, I did it without problem. So I'm like, well, bring it on. And you have to have that passion. So there the answer to the question of like, what experience do you need? Obviously at some point, like I'm a hire, I'm in a position to hire people. I'm looking at a resume and I'm going to see your experience. If you have, and a lot of, you can tell a lot by someone's stage management resume. If you have the same theater company for like 20 shows, you know, you basically have a friend and you're, you know, you're working with your friends. How are you going to be in a new environment? I don't know. So there's, to me, I would put that aside. Okay. Next, I don't care what, you know, who cares if it's a Broadway show or not, you need to be able to have like a multiple experiences with different companies, different shows, you want the challenging ones, you know, work with kids, they're a pain, but if you can work with kids, you can work with adults, like truly. <laughs> so to, to have like a, a verse sort of uh, experience, and to be able to show that is, is like step one, and then step two is the, is the actual soft skills and the hard skills that are involved in it, you know? What have you done? What have you not done? But at the same, all of that needs the underlying passion. Um, it's not your normal average job that, you know, I, can, I can't even see a person on a resume. I just see their experience. That's it. I, ha I have to ask this question because you mentioned it earlier about writing letters to stage managers, probably like, I think asking them if you could go behind the scenes and watch the whole thing in action. Um, I remember watching this uh, interview with Erica M. Do you know who Erica M is? She was like a, oh. a, a she was like a VJ in Toronto. Um, worked at Much Music and um, rings and, the bell, but maybe yeah. I had... She so she had said, um, "Don't underestimate the 
the power of just asking people for what you want. Mm -hmm. And um, she really tried to tell people to, to not be afraid to do that. And it made me think of you because here you are, you're writing letters to some stage manager in New York and they actually respond and actually said, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Frequently yeah. Or, or was that, did you get a lot of no's? Uh, I got a couple no's. I got a couple no responses, but I did get quite a few yeses. And um, I wasn't sure if that was a thing that people did. I did not research that in advance. I just wrote this like huge letter. I didn't know. Like I had no idea. And I did it a lot. I did it a, a ton of times. Like, honestly, I can't even, at one point I put my like shadowing experience. I like made an Excel sheet and wrote down all the shows. And then I just had like a record of it because people, and you know what? The cool part about it is that people stayed in touch. Like one of my best friends I've met from, uh, from shadowing experience. Like she was one of my best friends for years who was just happened to be someone I shadowed and then happened to be someone that when I, uh, when I moved to New York, I messaged her and said, Hey, I I'm here. I have more questions. Would you like be, would you teach me more? And she did. She taught me for like a year or two. And I just asked her that. And I was like, can you teach me how automation works? Cause we don't learn that in school. She's like, yeah, no problem. And so I'd go to her house or her studio or whatever, or I'd go to the stage door and meet her for dinner and we would talk about it. Amazing. And I just asked the question and it's true. You, there is so much power in that because people are actually, uh, they like to talk about what they do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, uh, I mean, that's one of the things I love about talking to people like you is just to, mm -hmm. to learn about, um, people's passions and, and behind the scenes is such a fascinating thing. And of course you're working behind a major scene in yeah. uh, Cirque du Soleil. So mm -hmm. um, I think our time's running cl close to the end here. So I just want to end with yeah. a, a final question that is just, I know it's difficult to think about the future right now because we're, we're mm -hmm. in the current predicament we are, but as you look into your own future and what you're doing, what's something that you're, you would be excited to have happen um, is there something in particular when it comes to, the, to what you do that you'd like to see happen? Uh, what's on the horizon that is that uh, you're thinking about um, of late? Um, well, there's a couple things. Um, I've, I mean, regardless of the fact that I'd like to go back to work, because we're all hoping for that at some point. Um, my future is, is kind of, uh, I have different focuses, I guess. Um, I do love touring still and I still do want to do that for I don't know how much longer but I'm also trying to find uh, very new uh, creative ways to teach uh, Cirque stage management specifically um, so I've been teaching a little bit uh, but I want to be able to do a bit more and I want to be able to reach um, to reach like more uh, communities and also different countries it's not just education in North America that I'm interested in there's other countries that are equally as skilled and want to learn it so I've always had this passion, but now I'm sort of focusing on it a bit more since I have so much time <laughs> of, of finding ways to actually teach it because they don't, we don't teach Cirque stage management. A lot of people don't know about it. Like I said, I didn't even, I didn't even consider applying for it because I didn't think I'd get in because I didn't even know how I would get that experience. So I think I'm spending a lot of time right now focusing on the education of it and what would be important to teach and then how we can get stage managers who know what they're getting into trained up enough that we can just hire them and put them into our shows. Um, because it's, it is an area that we're struggling with right now is in just in general, 
is making sure people have the experience they need to be able to be hired um, in circ stage management, just because it is so specific. So I think that's, it's exciting for me. There's some days that, um, that I spend like completely just focused working on a particular topic that I want to teach and the best way to sort of teach it and word it without making someone's head blow up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds really exciting and very interesting too. I think it's a Cirque du Soleil uh, school maybe yeah. might, be, might be a cool thing to, uh, yeah. to have happen. It could be. Listen, I want to thank you so much for um, taking the time to do a, a to do an isolated interview with us. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been great. Uh, I know it's uh, I know it's difficult right now, um, but I you know I've enjoyed uh, spending this time with you. It's 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 a great way to uh, pass the uh, the hours as we uh, try to get back to the new normal. Yeah, so, of course. So thank you so much, and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll get to. Uh, We'll get to see when Cirque opens up again and excited to see what you guys have in store. Yeah, hopefully very soon. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Carolyn. Thank you. This episode has been brought to you by the National Advertising Challenge, North America's only brief-based challenge that sends winners to Cannes, France. 